This is the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from Go Abundance. The tribe of healthy, wealthy, generous people who choose to live epic lives. Listen Tuesdays for featured guests and Fridays for Go Abundance member spotlights. But listen always to hear how our guests have grabbed life big. Now, here's your host, Jamie Gruber. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Tribe of Millionaires podcast from GoBundance. I'm your host, Jamie Gruber. Today, wow, did we go deep. I, uh, I love who we're going to have on today. She's uh, got a broad range of things I think we're going to dive into from uh, her budding entertainment career to her, her W-2 to the short-term rental business and all she's done in between. Rachel Gainsbrew, GoBundance Women's member, is all of that and more. She's a doctor, an investor, and just got a big smile. Just a lovely person. So, Rachel, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, my goodness, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. What an honor. I just appreciate you creating this space for us to just connect on a whole other level. I know it's usually business, 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 but with your podcast, uh, the value that I see here is that we're covering a whole range of things. And so I so appreciate the value that you're sharing to others who are listening. So thank you so much for having me. That means a lot. And it's cool for me because I get to meet everybody in GoBundance by doing this podcast, right? Like it's just my ability to, I can connect to everybody. I know everybody and I love knowing everybody. So I appreciate you saying that. Let's, uh, Let's start with you. I mentioned a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to dive into each of them, I'm sure, as we go through, but just kind of give me the story of you from uh, from where you're from through what you're doing today. Yeah, absolutely. So a little girl from Haiti, one of the poorest countries in the Western Hemisphere, came to this country. Parents did all the sacrificial things to make sure that I got the best education possible in one of the best countries possible. And so with that being said, I didn't want to take their like sacrifice in vain. You know, they they did have status. It may be a poor country, but they did have status and all of the things. But coming to this country, they had to start all over. But what they did instill in me is that education is the key. Education, education, education and faith. That's another thing. Education and faith, education and faith. And so I went down that uh, path. I really excelled in education got the straight A's, went on and got my doctorate. Everything is great, but I had zero financial literacy education. (laughs) So walked away from graduate school with a boatload of debt, student loans, and I realized, oh my goodness, this is crushing. And so worked really hard, my husband and I, we went through it, okay, Jamie, we went through it. It was hard out here on the streets. But when we finally were seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and paid it off, we determined, okay, well, what do we do next? And so real estate investing was something that we we ventured into after paying off our student loans. What the so real estate investing, you're in short-term rentals now. Is that where you started? Where did you go right into that game? And how long ago was that? Give me an idea of when did you start in real estate and what did you start with in real estate? Okay, so we started in 2019, believe it or not, and it just it completely accelerated because of short term rentals. So we spent about two years of doing the um, podcast consumption, info procrastination, just all of the bigger pockets, all of the things just consuming, 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 pull the trigger on short term rentals, because for us, 
that would have accelerated our pathway to freedom compared to all of the other investing. And no offense, my long-term rental folks, and no offense, my multifamily syndicators, I looked at all of it. And the the only numbers that really made sense to us at our phase of life was short-term rentals. And we started there... (laughs) We're not looking back, Jamie. I don't know. You changed my mind. Someone would have to come up and change my mind, but we're not looking back. <laughs> I think I think every one of us that have been in the long-term game are being changed over. It's like taxis versus Uber, right? Forever, it was like Uber. You know, like I remember living in Boston. You couldn't even get an Uber at the airport. It wasn't allowed. You had to have a taxi medallion. Good luck today. Uber's taken over. It's the same thing here. Long-term, long-term. Ah, the short-term game, like, eh. Everybody I know in long term is starting to touch short term, me included. We're, we're starting to dive into it now. We're looking to diving into it now. Um, but you're well, first off, where did you go? Haiti to where? Where did your family migrate to? Miami, Florida. Miami. Is that where you are today? Today, I'm in Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia area. Yeah. So after grad school, got a really cush position um, with a big teaching institution in Georgia. And so we we moved there. Gotcha. So your short-term rentals, from what I've read about, um, at least one of them, what I know of is just like a house in a neighborhood, right? Kind of thing. Or, or at least maybe I read that wrong, but tell me about where are you investing and and how do you analyze, like what short-term rentals are you going after? What are the dynamics you're looking for? Yeah. So I'm looking at a number of things. So some of the portfolio are houses and neighborhoods. Some of the portfolio are um, in vacation rental locations. So the Poconos, mountain areas, the Smokies of Tennessee, um, uh, houses in Georgia nearby in in really nice neighborhoods, as well as we're doing a new construction on um, 30A, Scenic 30A, which is the Florida Panhandle area near um, Destin and Panama City Beach, right in between. And so it's a variety right and that's just because we just keep looking around and and evaluating the numbers i'm a very spreadsheet oriented girl so i look at the numbers and if a deal comes across my desk that fits into my um i guess my pillar of who i want to host then i will look at the deal so if there's some really flashy high-rise penthouse condo i'll send it over to a friend but what we invest in are single family homes five to eight bedrooms that host multi-generational families with children and pets. So I get laser focused on, will this fit my avatar? And my avatar happens to be myself. I'm traveling my, you know, my parents, I always have an entourage that random cousin is coming. And, you know, so everyone comes when we get together as a family, we're, we're really big on that. And so that is the experience that we want to convey with our business. How do you market that? Is that just by, by by the dynamic of the property being five to eight bedrooms? Is it just that those folks find, you know, multi-generational with children and pets find that because that's what they're looking for? Or is there a way that you're able to sort of tap into that avatar, that market that you're trying to get into? Yeah, so they they find us and we're niched, right? So we're not going to be that smaller, you know unit that a lot of people typically have access to. So our folks know us and we know them, they see us and we see them. And so we just put it out there, sleeps 16. Hello. That whittles it all the way down, right? To the one 
or two properties. And then another thing is we do have a B2B line, a business to business line where we are working. And I, I would say that this is my superpower. We're working directly with insurance companies as well in the neighborhoods, because if a family, a smaller family um, is displaced from their homes due to a flood of fire or any of those um, catastrophic situations to the home, they get placed in a hotel for a while or an apartment for a while. But how many larger families need to be placed somewhere? So one of the last guests that we hosted in the neighborhood, she said, imagine cooking for a family of 10 in a hotel. Although the insurance did give them two hotel rooms, but that's not going to cut it. Cooking for family 10 in a hotel is not fun. And so we have really niched ourselves as the provider for housing for these larger families who it's, you know, and the insurance, the, the, the game plan is to place them in a like type of home. Yeah. And so they're, they may be in an eight bedroom home, but our five bedroom home will fit that, you know, dynamic and that like kind of accommodation for them. You're creating like, a, I got a page full of questions now and I, I'm <laughs> going to make sure. So I, I got to set the, like, this is for my brain and people listening, I think like this is significant and, and you've got all these different nuances that I want to dive into, but just let, let's create the framework. How many total units are you operating right now? Do you own right now? So I have a mixed business. So I own and I manage for others. Okay. So own seven right now and manage okay. 11 for others, as well as manage for ourselves because we do arbitrage. That so was the we, other question. Yeah. So you are self-managed or you have a management business that you run, correct? Mm -hmm. What does that yeah. look like in the short-term rental? Like, for, like when you're managing for others, you know, as a multifamily guy, I'll pay, you know, 6% to a management company. I have a feeling that is more than 6% for you to manage the intensity of an Airbnb, like frequent guest turns, cleaning, all that stuff. What does a management company charge in the Airbnb space? Yeah. And that's a great question, Jamie, because there are layers of it. And that's what I love about short-term rentals. There are layers, right? Do you need me to just manage the guest communications and the revenue side of it, you know, and the calendar? Sure. If that is the case, I'm charging about 15% for that. OK, and yep. because, you know, I am changing your pricing on a day to day basis. Of course, I use an AI algorithm to change the pricing and the fluctuation. Mm -hmm. So you'll still um, net more with me than if you did it yourself, if you're not in there every day. However, if you um, have me managing the property as well, the whole asset uh, as a short term rental manager, it's about 25 to 30 percent. So I'm managing the cleaners, the maintenance, you know, just to turn around, making sure the guest really has the best experience. But as a, the difference than a property manager is I'm not managing major projects. I'm not going to necessarily order the guy to come and put a fence in your backyard or that. So my guest experience, any maintenance that's needed that impacts guest experience is where the focus is. And so, and I have eyes on the property or my team has eyes on the property uh, multiple times. So always alerting the homeowner, hey, you know, this probably needs to be fixed. We need to, you know, bring this up to par or, you know, such and such happened and so on and so forth. So your standard client, is it like this? Like you're, you're searching Airbnb, you see a, a nine or eight bedroom house in, you know, Destin, Florida. And it happens to be a summer home or a vacation home for a family that lives in, you know, Michigan or whatever the case may be. Uh, they say, hey, you know what, uh, with this Airbnb thing, I, I guess why not rent it out? We only use it a few weeks a year. You find them, they find you and you essentially in a way co-host. Is that the is that the right term? 
well, co-hosting is more of that 15% where I kind of just manage a portion of it, you know? And so the full short-term rental management and, you know, you have to have a realtor's license in some states to do that because you're required to be a brokerage to hold money. So yep. trust accounting. So that's a little bit more of the full service management. That makes sense. So there, there are three ways to host, right? So there are um, landlord owner. So we we're actually doing all three. So landlord owner. Okay. So we own the property. We dress it up really pretty, stick it on the platform and we're, we're renting it out as a short term rental. There's arbitrage. Arbitrage is where I uh, work with other investors who say, Hey, Rachel, aren't you the luxury short-term rental girl? I said, yes, I am. Can you help me, you know, get my property set up as a short-term rental, but I don't want to do anything to it. So that individual, um, I have an option. Do you want me to rent it out unfurnished? I'll rent it out for your lease. I'll dress it up and then I'll rent it as a short-term rental. I will pay a little bit higher than you're expecting to get paid, a couple hundred dollars higher, but I can set it up. I will always have eyes on the property and so on and so forth. However, if you want to be a little bit more hands-on, you try it out, you set it up, but then you realize, hey, all of this guest communication is overwhelming. All of these turnarounds, communicating with the cleaners is overwhelming. Maintaining the calendar, um, optimizing, pricing optimization is huge. Optimizing the listing. So that's the third way that we host as a co-host slash property manager. So that is a revenue share. I call it a revenue share. So I'll my cut will be somewhere around 15% to 25%, depending on the level of effort. But you know, you you pretty much have full control of the property. It's not under an annual lease with me or anything like that. We can do a contract. I'll work with you for a year with a you know 90-day exit or a 30-day exit, whatever that may be. Now, so the seven that you have, are those seven that you own or is that a mix of own and lease? Seven that I own. Seven that you own. The 11 that you manage, what does that look like? Are you leasing any of those right now or? I'm leasing three of those three right of now. Got it. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. All right. Now, the other two quick questions, I think they're quick, uh, that I had on this is you've got sort of destination and you've got neighborhood. Do you see better performance in either or, or, uh, you know, uh, I guess like, you know, what's the difference as far as what you're seeing as from a result standpoint? Yeah. I mean, they perform both really, really well, but I will tell you my destinations during their peak seasons, they are insane in terms of their performance. Right. But then we have shoulder season and then we have lower season. Okay. So say a property made 42,000 true story in Hmm. July. Okay. <laughs> It'll go all the way down to maybe um, December 4,000, 3,000, right? Sure. However, the neighborhoods, it's going to be more like a steady 11,000 all the way through. Got it. Got it. Maybe Interesting. 9,000, but it's more steady. So there's a lack of seasonality with the neighborhoods. Okay. Yeah. But with the, the destinations, you do have some seasonality, but still great performance overall. Why does somebody rent an Airbnb in a neighborhood? Yeah, we touched that a little bit early. It's the insurance. Um, Number one, insurance, clients. So Mm. say you're displaced. And it's incredible how many issues 
um, are happening to home. So I feel as though perhaps the fact that we're working from home more, we're using the plumbing more and we're flooding our houses more or we're we're just doing something to our homes. And I do get every month someone has a flood or someone's house caught on fire or some something is happening all the time. And so just being linked up with the Chamber of Commerce and being linked up with, you know, the insurance agents that are local to the area. And once you start making those relationships, you continue to make those relationships. Hey, we have this property that's going to be available. And so getting that communication out there that we are here, we are the provider for burnished temporary accommodations for distressed families in the area. We had uh, families uh, leave Louisiana during the past hurricane and come to our area in Georgia to escape that. You know, families are visiting for weddings. Families are visiting for funerals. They're coming to the area and they need a place to stay. And so we can accommodate, say, a whole wedding party, so to speak. Um, families are traveling uh, for relocation purposes. So Atlanta is a hot, hot bed. And so where we are in Peachtree City, we're about 30 minutes south of Atlanta. And so if an executive, somebody wants to um, move to the area, they're going to try out and see, you know, which neighborhoods they want. They tend to, you know, select our property because it is well designed for that executive uh, individual. And the other big thing that we're seeing is individuals are selling their homes a little bit faster than they can get into the next home. And so they need our place kind of like a gap in between, you know, all of their things are in storage. They just need a place for 30 days or 60 days while they get this other home closed on. And so we're kind of a great in-between gap. And those are some of the use cases for the neighborhood properties um, that, that we have. And so my rule of thumb is this. If you are 30 minutes away from a hotel, a university, a hospital, you can be a short-term rental. There's travel happening in that area. We have professors coming. We have doctors, nurses, all of those folks as well. You know, well, real quick, I was gonna, I was gonna applaud you on a strategy that you're doing that I think is is phenomenal in this space, which is very, very. Uh, uh, there's a lot of people doing short-term rentals, but you've you've niche, niche niched out whatever the hell the word is. Uh, <laughs> something that's really cool. But I do have a quick question on the on the insurance rentals. Like it's kind of a two part. Do they pay more insurance companies than might you might be able to get on the market? One and two. What's the mix like is it 80 percent insurance is it like nah you know it's sort of like here and there like what's the mix of insurance uh for those neighborhood properties paying you know like out of a 30-day month how many of those days on a property are paid by insurance that's a great question because a lot of times when insurance uh comes into the mix jamie you know that renovations are going to take months if not years sometimes yeah so typically my shortest insurance stay is a 30 day stay, but if they secure the property, it's anywhere from three, three months. My longest has been nine months. Okay. And do they pay you your, your rate or do they have a, like, you know, I know the insurance has a certain amount they pay per day per the policy, but are you able to get within that your normal rate or do you have to discount it significantly? What does that look like? That's a great question. So I have like my little formula that I use and here's what my understanding, and I'm I'm about to drop some gems. I'm going to give you the secret sauce right here, Uh-oh. Jamie. Hit me. You heard it here first. <laughs> when you have a really good insurance policy, your short-term rental housing allotment is approximately 25% of the property value. 
annually so, or, or for, for what period of time? 25% of the property value for... So if you have a $100,000 house, you have a $25,000 short-term rental allotment, let's say, right? For, for what, just period, that amount? Per, per claim. Per claim, okay. To, and that needs to last about 12 months. Got it. And okay. so when the insurance reaches out to me and the individual calls, oh my goodness, my big $750,000 house, when they say that, I start saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe <laughs> I start to do the math. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry for you. Let me get my calculator out. <laughs> wow. And so I back into it like that. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to charge you the whole amount. I stretch it out over a year. I take into consideration you have three animals, okay? Everybody's got three animals. I call up my local, I'm giving you the, this is my course I'm giving you right now. I call up my local boarding shelter. How much do you board three dogs for this size? I add that and then I can then when you, and of course insurance, they're coming they want to kind of lowball, you know, sure. uh, and I will, I will reduce because it's a longer term stay, but they're not lowballing me. So for instance, if I'm expecting 11,000 a month for a property, I will get around 8,000 a month for a property. And these are homes that are long-term rentals at like 2,500 a month unfurnished. So, yeah, I mean, look, I come from the insurance world. There are bad faith laws in place. To your point about lowballing, uh, as a first party client, meaning the person who purchased the policy, if they have a benefit that pays up to 25% of the value of their home in short-term rental uh, uh, allowance for a year, let's say, or if that, that's supposed to last a year, I mean, they can't refuse to pay whatever the amount is. That's bad faith. That that's, that's illegal for an insurance company to do. So you are in a major position of power by knowing that fact. I mean, if that's one piece of your course, we'll learn about the course in a little bit. There's a lot more to that that people could benefit from. So we'll tease that for right now. Um, what I love about your strategy is it's very uh, like blue ocean. Have you ever heard of blue ocean strategy? Like red versus blue, right? You, you, this fighting with the others now. Right, right. The idea for those that don't know, red ocean would be, you know, there's blood in the water. So everybody's doing the same thing. All the sharks are eating the same food. You find your way to blue ocean, which is clear and clean. Like you said, you you do sleep 16, and I, I know this. I've looked for this. It takes your 187 options in a in a in a little neighborhood down to one. Like you're the only one. So to find that niche in the sea, the Red Sea, the Red Ocean of Airbnb is brilliant. Is brilliant. So kudos to you. Is that was that intentional, or is that just something like you kind of stumbled upon? Like, oh, actually, there's a whole market here of of, of big people or big you know big families that want that want to rent. I, I am so analytical. And so I will say that I spent a lot of time like looking at the numbers. Well, if I did a three bedroom, what is my mar what are my margins? If I do a four bedroom, what are my mar margins? And then I realized five bedroom, six bedroom. Oh my gosh, holy smokes. Like not even a proportional type of increase, just completely blew um the others out of the water. And so just I just kind of stayed laser focused on those units because as a busy professional, Jamie, I really felt as though I need to make this work. I need to get the best bang for my buck. I can't fiddle around. Look, I drove three hours to go and look at this $16,000 property from, from a wholesaler. I got there. I was so scared. I was so scared. And so I just, I just said, no, I, I can't, I need 
to not create another job for myself, so to speak. I need to create something that is going to accelerate our path to financial freedom. And those numbers made the most sense to me. And we got laser focused on those types of properties. No, that's great. And that's a great segue because I wanted to ask you that part next. There's a few other topics I want to dive into, but you're a doctor. What's your practice? First of all, What, what do you practice? I'm a doctor. Doctor of pharmacy, so I'm a pharmacist by training. Yeah, and I know you you uh, you had a, a moment. It sounds like at one point uh, a pivotal moment being in your pharmacy, kind of a, a, a potentially tragic event that happened to you that probably got you on this path. You want to share that? Like what what started you saying I'm not going to be kind of like you know tied to 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 how much money a corporation makes with my life here? Can you share that story a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So one night we actually had a thief <laughs> come in looking for Oxy and jump into the drive through window and held our store at gunpoint. And so talk about pivot. I, I have goosebumps right now just thinking about it. Talk about a pivotal moment. At that point, I was still fighting against burnout because healthcare burnout is a real thing, especially in this economy with COVID economy. But at that point I was already battling burnout. And then I had to take a step back and think to myself, so if in fact, you know, the worst had happened, maybe my family would have received a little card. I'm sorry for your loss. Maybe they'll get a plant, you know, of some sort, maybe not, right? Maybe not because they just needed to fill the next shift. And so that was when I realized I got to get out of here. And my husband was a thousand percent with me on that. He had been, you know, with me because that environment and and thank God we, you know, transitioned to a whole different environment. I love what I do now uh, in terms of working in the hospital in in an IT setting, but that environment really brought out (laughs) a whole different personality in me. I did love the patients that I served, but it was more towards the corporate corporate numbers, the corporate numbers, the corporate numbers. And at the end of the day, are you appreciated? At the end of the day, are you valued as an individual who has goals, dreams, and hobbies and aspirations? And so um, for me, that that was life-changing. And I started to evaluate my life and, and say, you know what, I, I'm not going out like this. Not like this, not like this. And so we transitioned to another uh, segment altogether. Yeah. So you, it sounds like left the pharmacy and went into a hospital setting, an IT department, like you had mentioned. But at the same time, you've built, you've built a significant business here with 18 rentals. Uh, we all know the story of cash flow with Airbnb. I mean, it's, it's just the best right now. I, I can't think of in the real estate space, a better cash flow vehicle. And on top of that, you're getting appreciation in these markets, especially that you're investing in, you know, coastal destination markets. I mean, the values of these properties are going up as you acquire them. So it builds across all of those benefits of of real estate, depreciation, all of that stuff, right? But the cash flow piece is the sexy piece. It's the thing that's really driving it. You said you like what you do. I get it. But what keeps you there? What keeps you employed versus maybe taking a step out and and diving deeper into this business full time? Oh, that's a good one, Jamie. I think <laughs> it deals with an identity crisis. I think it deals with fear. I think it deals with a number of things. So we're getting into the psychology of it. Yeah. So for me, you know, and, and I speak with other healthcare professionals, a gal earlier this week uh, mentioned to me that she almost rage quit, you know, her job a couple of times last month. And so 
for me, it's, I think it's the identity, you know, you go to school for eight years, you don't just quit. Who are you? You know? And so I have some work to do. <laughs> you know, it's, you no, do? it's great. What does your husband do? If you don't mind me asking. He's a psychotherapist, but he has transitioned more so into the real estate professional side as well. Yeah. And so he's still, he, he works with at-risk youth in the Atlanta public school system. So he's seen some of the worst of the worst situations with children. And yeah. so that's, that's really a tough gig as well. And so he's, um he's reduced it down to part-time some, and then he is doing more and more of the real estate, but we're looking for him to retire soon and then later from that and then focusing 100% on the real estate. It's interesting to me. I talked to a lot of people about this. We talked before we were recording about my story, leaving the job, all of that stuff. There was one frame shift for me in thinking and it was it was sort of a, a, a future projection, a future version of me projecting back, right? So it was, to your point, a lot of identity in, you know, I, you know, I developed this career and I've got equity that's unvested still, that, you know, all the family, kids, health insurance, all these things that were like in my mind on top of identity as an issue, right? Like I am an executive. That's what I built myself. I grinded it out. I traveled a bunch. I did everything. Just, just tore myself apart to get to that level. How can I, how can I walk from it? Right. But I reflected on I'm 43. You know, I look back at 25 year old me with this sort of like, you know, you were 25. And you had, it, what were you doing? Like you could have done anything, right? Anything with life now, 43 wife, kids, a mortgage, you know, some investment. Like I can't just, you know, but then I thought like, I, I, what would 85 year old me say to 43 year old me? Right? Like, dude, you're 43, right? Like, you know, you got kids, you think you have complications. I've got psoriasis and I'm about to die. Right? Like that's complication or whatever. I hope that's not me at 85, but you get my point, right? Um, life is finite. And I am the only one that knows 85 year old me. Nobody else knows that person. So I know exactly what 85-year-old me says to me today. I know exactly what he says. That was pivotal for me. Like, what am I, what is this identity? And the other piece that was more recent for me as I as I navigate this world now of post-W2 and trying to figure out, you know, when I take something on, is it because of scarcity and this feeling of like, I just need to, I need to earn and, you know, like this conditioning of having to earn. But if tomorrow, God forbid, somebody said, your wife is sick and she's not going to make it. If that happened, I know that's really dark. But if that happened, I know exactly what I would put down. I know exactly what I would stop doing. But why do I need that? If I know right now, if somebody told me my wife is going to die, what I would stop doing, why do I need to wait for her to be in that situation to do it? Like, it just means to me that that's what exactly I need to do right now. So I'll leave that with you. That might be that might be something for yeah. you to think about. Uh, I get it. Identity. I mean, you're a doctor. That's a that's a major like societally and socially. That's like the top of the the top of the heap, but it die tomorrow, <laughs> you know, like it could be gone tomorrow. Who gives a shit about your doctor status at that point? That's kind of my take on it. So that's not like go quit. I'm not that guy. That's like, yeah, you should just throw caution to the wind, but I have a feeling. And actually one other piece that the evidence of what you've done, I think serves the, 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 the success, the likely success you'll experience post job. And what I mean by that is Everything that you've done up to this point has been significant. You're a doctor. That's that's not an insignificant thing to do. You paid off a bunch of debt. You scaled a business. Like you're successful with everything you do. That's that's evidence. So whatever you decide to do next, evidentiary wise, is likely to be even bigger and better than what you're doing now. So I think that the fact that you're a doctor actually serves the entrepreneurial version of you more 
than it is like an identity thing that you're on that you're letting go of, if that makes any sense. My my free advice. I don't know if it helps at all, but I just this is a topic of passion for me. So I appreciate you talking through it. <laughs> Absolutely, he does. And Jamie, I cyber stalk you. I you are a silent mentor of mine. So for you to speak that into me. That that means more than you could ever imagine. So I thank you so much for that. And oh. I receive that and and just I so appreciate that. You're giving me food. I like I've got chills right now because it yeah. it makes sense. And what you're saying is it's stuff that I know, right? Of course. Of course. <laughs> but the the framing of it, it's like, oh. Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. Look, like that's the thing I've allowed myself to to be post W2 is aligned with what my gifts and purpose are. I would not have admitted a year ago or said about myself because of, you know, hubris or humility or whatever that, hey, you're 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 supposed to inspire and help people live their best life. That's that, you know, but I feel that way. So when this topic comes up and thank you for saying that about being a silent mentor, that means a lot to me. But when this topic comes up, I just, you know, I get such a, a thing in me about you know, not like everyone quit their job. Some people love what they do. Some people, like the CEO of my old company, she is awesome at that. And she loves being it and doing it. Like do that, right? I, I would never tell her quit her job, right? But but at the same time, there's a lot of us that have uh, uh, something else they want to do with their lives, whether it's in a job, out of a job, in life, travel, whatever it might be that we don't do for fear of something that's just not real. It's just not real. And um, anyway, and thank you because, you know, silent or not, like this stuff is unbelievable to me. You're uh, talking about mentorship. You're giving me way more value than I'm sure I've ever, ever even dreamed of giving you. So I appreciate you talking through this. This is incredible. Um, all right. So you're a doctor. You've got this job. You're building the short-term rental business. Now you're delving into the world of entertainment. And I know there's only so much you could share here. So under NDA with a certain uh, network slash company, but what can you share? What will you share? We were talking about it before. I'm going to let you navigate this to the ability that you're, uh, to the, you know, to your ability, uh, what you're allowed to at this point. And then I'm sure later we'll learn more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this, <laughs> this was an, an incredible experience. So needless to say, this year has been busy. So we were approached by a, um, a consultant firm that does a casting for TV shows uh, around, I want to say April or May of this year. And so there is a new TV show and we're being featured on one of the episodes. This is going to launch uh, early next year. Show name is to be determined. I'm under NDA for that. But what occurred was um, one of our properties, which was a long-term rental, we purchased it, we decked it out in a suburban area of Georgia. This is a property that we, we used to host um, insurance families as well as executives that are traveling to the area. You know, Georgia is now the Hollywood of the South is what we call it sometimes, or they call it Yollywood, right? And so we're in that neighborhood where we're not too far from where the studios are. Well, this is a property that um, one of the data tools that are utilized in order to, um, that we utilize in order to measure uh, the profitability for a property called AirDNA. AirDNA um, reached out with this casting company and I think they saw what this property was doing. So this was a long-term rental generating $1,800 a month. When we furnished it, set it up as a short-term rental, we were generating anywhere from 15,000 to 28,000 a month on that property. And so... <laughs> 
<laughs> and that's why I'm like, I can't look back. I can't look back. So you can't unsee those numbers. And they they reached out to us. And so the TV show is featuring that property. And so more to come on that. Um, yeah. We'll be yeah. on Netflix. I can say that part, but I was going to ask you yeah. more about that, which is, which is incredible. And so this is not something that was within my uh, vision board or my scope or my one sheet or any of that. It's like, you know, when opportunity knocks, it's like, wow, what an incredible opportunity. And so I look forward to that airing in 2022. Can you talk about that for a quick second? That's congrats, first off. So we're, we're with a budding star here. So this is, a, we, we got you here first before you blow up too much. But um, <laughs> why say yes to it if it's not on your vision board or not on your on your one sheet or anything like that? Why say yes to it? I'm kind of curious what your decision was on that. Absolutely. So I find that sometimes when I allow myself to be a little bit more uncomfortable is when I grow. So it's it's in the comfort zone. And, and for for the last few years, you know, and going back to what you're mentoring me on, Jamie, a little bit earlier. I'm comfortable, right? I'm comfortable when you're comfortable at your W2, you're comfortable. But the whole time I'm like, so I'm like uncomfortable in my comfort zone. Does that make sense? I'm completely uncomfortable in my comfort zone. So this was completely out of my comfort zone. And it, it just, it, it felt like, wow, this is something that is an opportunity for me to grow into. This is something like Netflix per se wasn't on my vision board, but having the ability to impact. And that is my vision is how do I impact over a million women's financial literacy so that they can have the freedom to say yes to the projects and the relationships and the whatever they want to say yes to and no to everything else. How do I impact their financial literacy? Because that is that was my vision. That was my goal. And I think Netflix is a good way to impact that if you, you know, they, they have that reach. So there was alignment in the fact that they do have that reach. And so maybe someone will watch you and will say, she can do that. If she can do that, I can do it too. And so that's why I said, yes. I love it. And you've got a, you've got an amazing communication uh, skill ability. I mean, it's very, you're very natural and uh, flowing in your communication. So, I, I mean, it's just, it, it, when you said that, it's like, yeah, I could see this. Not, I mean, I could see you've got that quality about you where, you know, you can, you can project out your message really, really well, I think. So I'm looking forward to hearing about the show. Um, we'll all look forward to it. We'll post it up once it's, once it's ready to go. What's the timeline before you're able to start talking about this? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, they're still hashing out <laughs> quite a bit of these things take forever, you know, getting a little glimpse behind the scene. It's it's fun, but it's a little painful as well. <laughs> sure. Sure. And it takes it takes a lot of time to, you know, get it off the, I guess, the docket, so to speak. Very cool. Yeah. You got some Hollywood types in the women's tribe, though, right? Tamar, she's uh, got some Hollywood back, background. Uh, Lenore Moore, I think, comes from that space as well. So yeah. maybe couple people with elbows they can uh, they can rub with somebody that they know out there to get this thing moving for you who knows oh absolutely and you know what <laughs> on here i'm like cool as molasses but when i'm with the tribe I'm like ladies are asking that <laughs> <laughs> you know, and so they all chime in, they all provide support, they all provide, you know, their insights. And, and so it's it's just an incredible tribe of women for sure. Love it, love it, love it. Um, all right, let's do some. We only have a few minutes left. I want to kind of hot uh, lightning round the one sheet stuff, and then we'll end with a question from the Go Abundance card game. But 
um, I do want to also talk about your course. So let's do this. We've talked horizontal income. You've mentioned from a family perspective, there's you, your husband. Are there kids? Is it just the two of you right now? What does that look like? Yeah, we have a high schooler and an elementary schooler. So we do have kids. Wow. What What are the like boy, girl, girl, boy, 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 two boys. Yeah. Another boy, boy family. That's us as well. That's very cool. Are they getting into this? The older one, especially at all or no? In the real estate short term rental game? Or are they like, yeah, you do that? <laughs> Well, the the older one, yeah, he he a year ago he says, "Mom, I would like um an apartment so that I can rent it out so that I can make money." <laughs> I was like, "Okay." Watch All it. right, let's, let's see how we can set you up and so he does have one arbitrage unit. Good for him. How old? <laughs> He's 15. Wow, so he has his own right now at 15 business. Yes, he does. He asked for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. Incredible because I didn't realize he he knew about it. You know, I talk about it. He ignores me because mama doesn't know anything. And then he just wakes up one day. I was like, what? You've been listening. So I think that's incredible. Amazing how much they do, even I guess at that age. Mine are younger. So that's good. Good advice for me as they age. They're still listening. Um, All right. How about contribution wise? Where do you Well, you mentioned about helping women with financial literacy? Is that where you spend most of your time, money, energy? Or is there something else that you have? some passion for? Yeah. So most of my time is in that literacy space. So I do a lot of talks with uh, RIAs. I do a lot of mentorships and coaching uh, pro bono at the local RIA. Um, Money, we do contribute to our church, our our tithe. Uh, That's really, really important to us. Um, We do need to beef that up a little bit and get a little bit more organized with that, to be honest. And uh, we also contribute to some causes dealing with Haiti. Uh, I do have some family back there, some um, a couple of students that we support that are in med school, actually, and in law school trying to make their way. And so we do pay tuition for some students in Haiti. And the student um, tuition is is very cost effective. So it's not um, anything to brag about, but I'm passionate about education still and and so that's where we contribute the vast majority of our time and our revenue is on those it. things. No, that's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's such a beautiful place. The whole island, Hispaniola, such a beautiful place. And it's so sad to see, um, you know, like Haiti, especially is, I, I mean, I think the earthquake from God, how long ago was that now? I think it's still impacting Port-au-Prince and right. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. Crazy. Sad and crazy, but good for you that you're, you're so involved and, uh, and helping out. Um, how about your GoPod? Uh, what do you, what are you currently talking about? Just kind of give me the dynamics of your GoPod. What does that look like? Well, that's a great question. I'm actually jumping back into another one. Our last GoPod, we kind of lost touch over the summer and with everything that I had going on, um, I hadn't been able to reconnect, but the last things we were talking about were um, relative really to each other's uh, superpowers and area of expertise. So Anna Lee was in my GoPod. Um, Elle, she's a mortgage broker in my GoPod. So kind of sharing a little bit of the expertise that we have and managing family dynamics with it and, and, and finding that ease and finding that flow because we would all come in sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, everything's just so on fire. And so it's like, okay, how do we um, find those um, moments or how do we ask for help 
when we need it? And how do we leverage the help of others? And that was the biggest challenge for us. So I know some of us were looking for virtual assistance to help chip in and take some of those things off of our table. Um, uh, Annalie was telling us a little bit about her chef and things like that, that she, I mean, just we're, we're looking at life hacks on how to kind of live a little bit more in alignment, in flow with a little bit more ease because we, if we take a step back, we can probably do it, but it's letting go of some control, right? Well, will they do it the way I want them to do it? And so investing that time into an individual to really get them up to par so that they can, you know, take it and run with it, make their mistakes. We take corrective. So Annalie was really awesome with giving us some pointers on that as well. Love it. That's great. That's great. Um, the pod thing, I think it's good for people to hear, like they don't always just like take off, right? I mean, some do, they, they, they have their moments, their seasons, they kind of, some die down, you jump into another pod, but it's, it's the engagement and community that really matters in that sense. Um, how about your next adventure? What, what's the next thing that you're, uh, you're excited about? Uh, really growing my mentorship and growing the coaching business because that has been really the most alignment that I've felt in years. Um, just helping others to succeed, helping others to navigate, to figure out, you know, what are the bottlenecks? What are the ways in which um, they want to live their lives in, in authenticity uh, when it comes to whether it's a hobby, it's a career, it's a goal. And so the coaching and mentorship has been really huge for me. And so I'm looking to really grow that onboard more students, onboard coaching with coaches within our coaching and just kind of work, work in that world. Um, so in January, we're really going to go full, full on out. Yeah. And, and just continue to grow it that way. Well, let's talk about that. So you have a course. Uh, do you have a name for the course? How can people find it? Give us some detail on what you're working on there. Yeah. So it's called Luxury Short-Term Rental Academy is a course. And so if uh, you look on my website, uh, shorttermgems.com, Short-Term Gems is the name of the business. So shorttermgems.com, uh, you'll have access to the Facebook group and that's where I announce enrollment for the course. And so, yep, there's a free Facebook group. Definitely check us out. And we're talking about all things luxury short-term rentals. And so that's pretty much where to find me. I'm nice. also on nice. Insta as well. Now is the course, uh, do you go through the course to get to the coaching or is the coaching something separate and distinct? What does the coaching look like? Yeah, that's a great question. So the course um, has a group coaching component to it. And nice, so nice. you go through the course and then you get a weekly group coaching as well with a group. And, and so we do have a premium level if you need one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Excellent. All right, great. Now we'll drop all the all the links in the show notes and, and go from there. So, wow. All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this. There's so much here. I've got a, a lot of notes here. Let's wrap this with a question from the GoBundance card game. Uh, and the question is, when did you not speak up when you really know you should have? Oh, I would say it was in my early days in the in the pharmacy um, when we were being held to a standard that was completely unreasonable. And so instead of me speaking up, I thought, OK, we're going to figure this out. We're going to make it happen. The team had already been completely overwhelmed, completely burnt out. But I was at a point, and it was during our getting out of debt journey, where I was doing it more so, I'll say, for the money. 
I was, I needed my job. I needed this. And so that is something that to this day, um, that I regret, but I quickly realized even in that environment that that wasn't me and that wasn't for me. And so within, within that year, I remember having the opportunity to speak out and I, and boy, did I speak out and boy, did I ruffle some feathers. I ruffled a lot of feathers. And so I became sort of the advocate for those who wouldn't be able to speak for themselves, but it didn't start out that way. Right. So I was that scared little girl who was very much so into self-preservation and, and just, I was completely unhappy, completely out of alignment and out of alignment. And so therefore I said, you know what? No, never again. And so even to this day, I know this week I said something, <laughs> I rubbed some feathers. So I may need to go back and give some clarification, but I'm, I'm always ruffling, ruffling feathers and, and I'm okay with it because I, at the end of the day, I need to be proud of myself. Um, if, if speaking out, leads to me being ashamed of myself, then I won't do it because it might not be the right thing to do. But if my silence causes me to be ashamed of myself, that's how I evaluate whether to say something or not. And so that really means a lot to me. I love that question, but I, I wanna speak out more and more, especially for those who cannot speak for themselves. Incredible. Rachel Gainsborough, very, very inspiring, informative, content-rich, incredible story. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for all you've given me today, all you've given us today. And uh, I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Jamie. I so appreciate you having me on this show. And I look forward to us continuing the connection, continuing the conversation. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to be looking up the uh, luxury short-term rental academy here, I think, shortly. So <laughs> thank you for that. Thanks for that gift. And we'll talk soon. Thanks again. that's it for this episode, but be sure you subscribe for future episodes. Give us a rating and review as well. It just helps us grow the podcast, grow the reach, and give as much value as we can to you on a week-to-week basis. Be sure to go over and check out GoBundance.com while you're at it. Check out Emerge if you're a future millionaire, our elite division if you're in that one to five million dollar range, or our champion division at five million plus. Or on the women's side, GoBundance Women is available for all of you to join an amazing group of millionaire entrepreneurial women. And if you haven't already, jump on tribeofmillionaires.com and order the book that is the namesake of this podcast. And you'll learn all about what this whole GoBundance thing is, what masterminds are about, and the power of community, accountability, connection, and all of that as you pursue your goals. Thanks for listening again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.